Yes, I've heard from many pilots who have called with you know, questions about you know, just that. You know, can they go see a counselor? You know, what are the FAA implications if they do? And, you know, and you know, will they ever be able to go back to work or can they keep flying? Folks, welcome to Counselors Can Help. Let's demystify the process of counseling. We want to remove barriers, answer your questions, educate, entertain, and inspire you to action. Calling all pilots. Is it safe to go to therapy? You're going to hear from Dr. Alex Woolbrink. We're going to discuss numerous scenarios and how that impacts pilots to be able to fly and do their jobs. Caution. This is a general policy discussion to be used for educational purposes only. Please consult your own doctor for specific medical advice and your AME for the latest FAA policies that impact your situation. Folks, welcome to Counselors Can Help. Today is a day that I'm pretty excited about. You could call it Aviation Day. It's beginning a series of shows that are industry specific. In this case, we're talking about pilots and aviation. And if you're a pilot, you know this, but if you're uh, not and you're listening, uh, pilots have health issues and we have to have medical exams and uh, there's paperwork involved and sometimes that that turns sour and we have to um, have that addressed. And while that's happening, you're not flying, you're you're out of flying. So uh, there are professionals that we call in for this that are certainly very knowledgeable about this. And for that, we have today Dr. Alex Wolbrink. He's joining us on the show, and he's certainly one of those professionals um, that I'm super excited about. And welcome to the show, Dr. Wolbrink. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Yeah, I am super excited. I, I for the audience to, uh, I guess, some background, um, he probably barely remembers or maybe doesn't even remember Dr. Wolbrink, but you helped me with my cancer, um, getting back to flying. I would say about eight years ago, a little over eight years ago. So that's that's pretty back in the way back machine for you. <laughs> time time goes quickly. <laughs> I I do remember, and it was so nice to see you you see you go back to work after. And uh, it was quite shocking, I guess, how fast it it happened. So, and the, the reason it it happened fast, I think, is because there are medical examiners, I guess, in the aviation world. Uh, you correct me if I'm saying any of this wrong, and. The local medical examiner does your your medical exam, and when there are things like cancer or things like that that pop up, uh, the FAA to, has to approve your medical, and you get back to flying. And generally, that's a mountain of paperwork or or questions to be answered. And uh, Dr. Wolbrink is there to help cut through all that and help pilots get back to flying. Yeah, well, I you know, I cover a whole you know, broad range of questions and. You know, certainly uh, a big part of it is you know dealing with those you know more you know, complicated you know, medical conditions and you know especially the ones that require you know, a waiver you know from the FAA. They they call it a special issuance you know, authorization, but it's essentially a waiver. And so the you know the paperwork and complexity of that can vary you know, significantly depending on what the condition is. So the idea of this show, the idea of the podcast show, is to make counseling and therapy more accessible. And specifically for this show on with pilots in aviation, there is a, a great fear that if a pilot sees a therapist, gets diagnosed with something, or the, the story is gets a little messy, uh, people are afraid, pilots are afraid to, to delve into that. So they avoid therapy, they avoid counseling, they, they tend to keep it as a final, last, desperate resort because of the fear of getting into this realm. And then... That's where you come in, right? I mean, you're sometimes left to to deal with these situations, and that's hopefully today's show is to talk about some of these situations and 
and give people some confidence and some answers, I guess, going forward on what this would look like, what they could expect. Certainly. Yes, I've heard from many pilots who have called with, you know, questions about, you know, just that. You know, can they go see a counselor? You know, what are the FAA implications if they do? And, you know, and, you know, will they ever be able to go back to work or can they keep flying? Yeah. So, are they are they marked somehow there? This is a, this is a bad thing. So uh, certainly want to get into that. We had talked last week or maybe a little bit before the show was prep and you had mentioned three things uh, that I think I guess are kind of critical. I'd like to highlight those, the uh, the diagnosis, treatment and fit for duty. So if you could, I guess, give us a little bit of background on what those things mean or how they impact each individual story um, and how the FAA sees that, I think that would be helpful information. Sure. So yeah, I find that to be an easy way to uh, help understand to the FAA's perspective. And so, as you said, you know, you know, what's the official diagnosis? You know, what is the treatment related to that diagnosis? And then, you know, what kind of symptoms you, are you having and you know, which you know, ties into the fitness for duty your question? And uh, you're really any one of those three things could potentially be disqualifying or may not be disqualifying. You know, there are you know, many conditions that you know, can be approved. There are, you know, depending on what the, the medical condition is, there are many you know, medications or treatments you know, that are acceptable to the FAA as long as you're doing well with that. And uh, you, know, you as a pilot are used to making you know, your personal fitness for duty assessment really anytime you fly. And so just to de- describe that as symptoms is more of a you know, medical way of you know, you know, helping to describe that same, you know, same perspective. And so I'll, whenever you know, I'm talking with a, you know, with a pilot, uh, you know, I'll often go through each of those things and you know, adapt you know, to their you know, personal situation or what the, whatever their question is and, and then kind of talk through the FAA implications you know, for each of those. And that's a great help because we don't spend a lot of time thinking about this or how, you know, uh, what the implications of what we're doing when we're going to see the doctor or whatever it is we're doing. We're just, we're just trying to get better, right? And then afterwards, there's the okay. Well, how does this all work with the paperwork? Well, I get I get both questions. You know, I spoke with somebody today who was asking, you know, I'm going to go see a doctor tomorrow, and you know, I'm expecting this kind of testing, and you know, what are the, you know, it happened to be an allergist, and so was asking you what are the implications of you know, the different treatments he might recommend. So some pilots do call ahead of time. Uh, others will call afterwards and say, I just met with my doctor and you know, he's you know, prescribed you know, whatever you know, treatment or medication and is that something that the FAA will allow? So, I, um, so I, I, hear, I hear both sides of the question. It just kind of depends on you know, when the pilot happens to you know, think about you know, getting me or you know, you're getting the FAA you know, perspective involved in that. Yeah, that's good. You're trying to, I guess, help, help answer questions. I mean, that's the, and then you, using your experience to to make the process go as fast as possible, I guess, if there, if there needs to be a special issuance or some special paperwork, I guess, or if there's not, you let the pilot know at that point, hey, just do your, do your regular routine, turning your paperwork as normal, you're, you're fine. Agreed. Yeah, some, some things well, you know, require reporting you to the FAA for that special issuance, and there are other conditions that you can just wait and report at your next medical, you know, and that's always you know, you're part of the discussion that I'll have. Well, in this instance or episode, we're, we're dealing with mental health issues. And so I know for a fact that pilots are afraid, as we've mentioned, to, to seek counseling many times. So I really just want to walk through some specific situations and maybe others that you've seen or, or your, in your experience happen a lot. Um, the first one is uh, the HIMSS program, which is, uh, 
I guess really just an addiction program that I guess many, I think all airlines have, they may maybe call it something different, but uh, you're in some sort of structured substance abuse or addiction program. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. So the HIMSS program has actually been around you know, since the seventies and it's uh, helped you know, thousands of pilots uh, one stay alive and stay sober and, and also to give them the pathway you know, to get back to work. And it deals with, you know, both alcoholism, you know, and also other, you know, other kinds of addiction, you know, other you know, substance abuse, you know, other kinds of drugs. And, you know, really, you know, most airlines, uh, you know, have some type of a HIMSS program. Uh, it's very much a collaborative effort, you know, typically, you know, with, you know, the FAA, uh, with their union, and also with the company. You know, and so really all three uh, parties, you know, need to be, you know, a part of, you know, a part of the program. They all have their piece, you know, of that, uh, of that puzzle. Uh, but as long as somebody, you know, gets in a good recovery program and is doing well and, well, and runs the protocol, checks all the boxes, you know, then it does allow them to get back to work. And, you know, I know, uh, there are some pilots that, uh, you know, have had negative experiences, you know, with the HIMSS program, but on the other hand, there are many, many, many pilots who, you know, have you know, benefited from that and are very you know, grateful you know, for, uh, for what it has provided to them, both you know, getting their life back and also getting their, you know, their jobs and their careers back. So if somebody's in the HIMSS program or has some kind of an, an addiction they're working through, what I know about it is it's a fairly structured program in that um, there's things you have to do to come out the other end or stay in it uh, to be monitored, I guess, for lack of a better word, that's a very defined program, right? I mean, there's not a whole lot of wiggle room there. Um, when you deal with it, is there is there much from your perspective where you get involved, or is, are those things fairly cut and dry on what the specific HIMSS program is for each airline? Say, it, it is. Yeah, it is very structured, and you know, there is a lot of you know research showing that having that structure, you know, helps you know people to you know, maintain a better you know, long-term sobriety. Uh, the FAA actually has come out with some uh, you know, somewhat recent changes you know, to the program uh, in the last uh, six, nine months or so. Um, so it is something that you know, does some you know, has some slow evolution, uh, but generally uh, the kind of the standard pathway is to do uh, you know, some type of you know, inpatient treatment, you know, typically a 30-day you know, program, uh, and then afterwards, uh, it requires you know. Um, Weekly after uh, weekly group aftercare, uh, certainly attendance at some kind of um, you know, uh, support group, you know, like Alcoholics Anonymous or you know, something similar to that, uh, and then also you know, you know monthly connections with both a, a chief pilot and a peer pilot, uh, with the intention or the um, the implication that you know the other pilots will also have you know some understanding of uh, both that pilot's work environment and you know, how they are doing you know at work. Yeah. And so, um, and so that, and those are ongoing. Those are ongoing things, and uh, the changes to the program are um, such that there are uh, there are options of uh, kind of slowly tapering off some of those requirements. You know, as as the pilot gets farther into their recovery. Okay. And yeah, and, and the goal of the program is to obviously have success. The the to rid the person of the addiction in that that it stops them from flying so that everybody is comfortable that they're they're flying they're going to their job they get a good outcome and and I, and I feel the airline and the FAA feel happy about the 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 process that 
they feel good about it too. I guess that's the bottom line is this everybody is is cooperating to make sure there's a good outcome there. Yeah. Right. So yeah. Yep, ab- absolutely. And so yeah, the first priority is always, you know, helping the, the pilot you know, to well stay alive and you know, get into a good recovery you know, program and you know, then you know, help them, you know, once they're stabilized in that, you know, then to get that back you know, get them back into work and you know, I've worked with many pilots who have gone through it, and you know, I I, I have to review those you know, reports from the chief pilots and the peer pilots, and you know, those those reports very often say you know that the, you know, that the pilot is just a, a um, you know, an appreciated you know, crew member, and it just has a you know, great attitude, and is just a, a tremendous you know, resource you know, you know, there you know, at work you know, in the in the cockpit and and for their whatever airline that they're working for. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it, it really can be a, a win you know, for everybody all across the board. Yeah, that's certainly the, the, the goal there. Okay, so I'd like to move to uh, get into the realm of a little bit more, I guess, less defined. And that is um, the first scenario I had imagined was some sort of family or couples therapy. It's not an individual thing necessarily. The person isn't necessarily experiencing their own problems, but there are problems in, at home. And the idea of a diagnosis, well, there really isn't one in this scenario. So would that mean that if someone called you about that or talked to you about that, you would say, well, there's no diagnosis. You're working out something at home, which is good. And there's no problem with your medical proceed, proceed like always. Is that, is that fair? That, that really is a, a good, uh, a reasonable assessment of that, and uh, it, it's one of the examples that I'll often use. And I, and because I've heard the FAA, you know, various FAA speakers use that, uh, you know, well, I usually phrase it as marital counseling, but you know, that could be you know, you know, carry over to couples therapy and certainly you know, family you know, therapy as well. But you know, just saying, you know, um, so the way that I, the way I'll put it is that you know, marital counseling actually does not even need to be reported. Uh, as long as the pilot you know, does not have an official diagnosis. So there again, we get back to that diagnosis you're part of that. But if it's more a matter of just kind of working through issues you know, with, within the, the relationship or within the family, uh, then that really is under the radar. Uh, and so it's only the, uh, the diagnosis you know, that would you know, bring it up above, you know, you know, above the radar to work. It would be something that could potentially or would, would potentially need to be reported to the FAA. And I, I guess the point of this show would be to encourage uh, pilots to not be afraid of specifically these subject matters because, one, it's not a, a, a medical thing at all. And the other would be that, I mean, this can really impact a pilot's just well-being of, of how things are going in their own house and impact their sleep, et cetera. So it can become a, a very much a burden in their life. And they're carrying that burden thinking that getting it, it addressed is going to cause this whole new problem when, in fact, it's not a problem at all in the eyes of the FAA. Exactly, and and of course you 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 well know the earlier you catch something, then you know, most of the time the earlier or the easier it is you know, to deal with it, and you know, so that would certainly be you know, the goal or the intent of doing this of you know, you know, getting some of that uh, kind of you know, foundational you know, counseling you know, to help it from becoming a, a bigger issue that actually might interfere with the pilot's ability to work or, or function at, at work. It, all signs point to please, please go there, please get it addressed uh, because such there can be such positive outcome and, and the fear of something's going to happen to me or I'll be identified because I'm in therapy is, 
is not relevant really in this in this case um, as you mentioned specifically if you don't have a diagnosis so um, well let's get to the, those kinds of uh, I guess these are the harder ones that, to discuss and that's there is a diagnosis of some sort there is a I guess sort of what you would say run-of-the-mill if you will anxiety and depression are, are pretty typical um, I guess talk to me about in that case how that is seen um, and certainly if if medication or is involved or not involved I mean I guess common sense would say no medication makes things a lot easier so um, if there is a diagnosis what's typically um, needed I guess to to feel like you've you're you're not in trouble with the FAA or you're in good shape with your medical sure and and yeah those are the examples that I'll often use as you know, somebody was, you know, somebody is calling me about you know, this question, and uh, and so so a diagnosis of depression uh, just is something that would be considered FAA disqualifying just you know, inherently you know, based on the diagnosis. And so with depression, then the goal would be to be able to document you know that uh, the depression is in remission and basically gone, and so the pilot is you know is back to normal. Uh, and lots of different ways you know, that could happen, you know, whether it's you know, simply with counseling or if you do need to get you know, medications you know, involved as part of that treatment. Uh, the other example of anxiety uh, is really a very you know, wide or broad spectrum you know, of severity. And some people have just very mild anxiety. You know, say, you know, say you have a little bit of stage fight, and so it's a very uh, you know, limited you know, situation and you're generally very easily managed. And that's really not a not a concern. You know, if it, if it doesn't interfere with things at work and doesn't require um, you know, chronic or ongoing treatment, then uh, really not a big deal. Uh, of course, on the other hand, on the other end of the spectrum, uh, you can have very severe anxiety. You can have you know, panic attacks, and it can really uh, interfere you know, with how somebody is functioning on a day-to-day basis. And so. That situation, all of the medications that are going to be used to treat that are going to be disqualifying, at, at least on a on a temporary basis. There are some antidepressants uh, for which the FAA will you know, consider for a for that waiver, that special issuance, and some of those can also be effective for anxiety. Uh, but really, all the you know, traditional medications uh, used for anxiety are going to be disqualifying. You could really because they're sedating. Uh, it could interfere with you know, safe operation or you know, safe flying. The point there is if you're not under some kind of medication and you can show, hey, I went and I saw this person and um, they feel like I'm good to go, there's no follow-on treatment per se, then generally that's a pretty, a pretty green light situation. Would you, would you say that's, that's fairly true in general? Yeah, if it's a you know, once and done appointment or you know, just a few you know, a few sessions, just kind of help deal with some issues. Uh, yeah, you know, really very easily managed. Um, I would typically recommend you know, getting uh, a brief letter from the, the counselor, uh, describing what happened and you know, what the treatment was, and speci- specifically saying that there were no medications involved. And then also, again, just documenting that they are improved and, you know, in their perspective, that they're you know, ready to or able to continue working or able to go back to work. And, and actually, that one really is usually fine to wait and report at your next, you know, at the next uh, routine medical that they you know, that they have with their AME. Yeah, yeah, and that was kind of one of the things I wanted to ask you about. Is sometimes people will 
they're not necessarily stopping flying for what they're seeing. They feel like they're, they're okay, but they feel like they should be doing better, I guess, for lack of a better term, and, and they go to see a therapist. Something that I think people don't really understand is, or they have this vision that the therapist is going to stop them from flying, that they're going to intervene somehow. And, and as a counselor, we can't do that unless we think there is someone in danger immediately or the person's made threats. Um, other than that, we have no business in how you talk to the FAA. Your, your medical, your mental health professional is there to help you, and what you talk about is your business. That's totally not something that he can just take to another party like the FAA, for example. That's, that's privacy. Yeah, there there definitely are you know, confidentiality issues there, and so yeah, the the, the, the you know counselor involved, you would not be able to disclose you know that information you know to the FAA without the pilot's authorization. Yeah, uh, there are exceptions to that. Uh, you know, some you know it varies state by state, but you know if there is a you know, um, you know possible threat you know or harm you know to self or others. You know, then there are some legal requirements involved, but that's you know each of those counselors you know, should be aware of what those are. But those yeah. are you know, those exceptions are very very unusual. Yeah, you're in danger, or I feel like other people are in danger. Then yes, I can step in as a counselor to to do what I think needs to be done. But when it comes to communicating outside of our sessions, um, the person who's there is is a part of that. I mean, if there's a letter to be written uh, as a therapist, I don't do that in the blind. I basically show the person what I'm writing. Um, this is, you know, what we agree on. And then that goes, then that person takes that to the FAA. So it's not a, I guess I want people to understand it's not a hidden thing, uh, from the therapist that we're doing something outside of, of their view, um, that there's some kind of, uh, I don't know, monkey business going on that they're, that the, the pilot is not aware of They're They're in full vision of that the whole way through, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, it's not a black box where you don't know what's going on. Uh, behind the curtain, so yeah, but I'll and I'll and I'll I'll you know ask you know ask the pilots to you know get the letter you know from the therapist you know, so that they can actually see what it is and if they have questions about it you know give me a call so we can talk about it before yeah. you know, before most of the AME or the FAA. So so yeah, it, it certainly you know really can and should be you know, an open you know, situation. Um, the other thing you know we're talking about uh, you whether or not you know, the pilot you know, should be you know, grounding themselves or not flying uh, certainly. You know, they should be making that assessment for themselves. I'll also encourage them to talk with a pilot buddy and, and get an outside perspective because sometimes when you're in the middle of the situation, you don't really see or um, kind of understand you know, everything that's going on or really how you're doing. And so you know, to get a you know, trusted you know, friend and you're preferably you know, a pilot friend who understands aviation you know, to, to talk with you and just kind of give you their, you know, personal impression about about yeah. how, you know, how they're doing it can be a very valuable re- a very valuable discussion I think the the theme through all this is there's a way to work through it and we don't want to wait until it's a crisis um, yeah. at the end and that's and that's generally what kind of the, these worst case scenarios turn into is the the person tries to hide it avoid it um, they're kind of pushing along which can take months years I mean in, in just misery and because they're afraid of this system. They're afraid of, of stepping into this and getting caught up in sort of a paperwork nightmare that they don't understand or, or, a, or a process that they don't, that they feel like they've lost control of. And so that's just, a, it stops them from getting help. And so that's the idea of talking through this on this show is to say it's, there's, 
there's ways through. There's, there's, you know, there are numerous ways to, to get there, I guess. And it's not always going to be each person's the same or um, each person is easy necessarily, but, but there's a way to get there. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, there are. Uh, yeah, really, there, you know, there's going to be a way to get back to work for just about everything. The couple of very difficult scenarios are you know, somebody who's diagnosed with bipolar disorder or who has had some kind of you know, psychosis. And those can be both very unpredictable, and so you can be very complicated with the FAA. But, yeah. uh, but really, pretty much anything else, we can deal with eventually. It's all just a matter of you know, what kind of timing and paperwork it's going to require. Yeah, and those kind of things you mentioned, bipolar or some kind of psych, you know, psychosis, those are things, are, those, that's a really rare deal. I mean, if you're if you're a pilot flying professionally, the chances of those kinds of things are pretty low. I mean, at least that's oh, I guess that would that would be my assumption going in. It it really is. You know, it it can happen. You know, there's um, you know there are lots of lots of pilots out there, and so sure. uh, it it can happen. But yeah, certainly, uh, especially psychosis, yeah, is is definitely a, a very rare uh, occurrence. Uh, your bipolar disorder, you know, these days we have to be a little bit careful because, uh, well, my personal opinion with that is you know, sometimes it gets to be a bit of a fad, your diagnosis. And so we have to, if that comes up, we have to make sure it really is a, a legitimate and valid diagnosis. Uh, but, because um, yeah, often it isn't. Uh, but, um, yeah, and, and even that is uh, with pilots who have an established career uh, is, uh, is, is very rare. I guess one big takeaway from this this idea of a diagnosis, I want to get into that a little bit. Um, if you're having insurance pay for your sessions, generally insurance to pay for sessions, and I'm speaking as a mental health professional, they want a diagnosis of some sort. And sometimes there's a little bit of a reach there. Folks, I want to take a break here and get into specifically what I mean about there's a little bit of a reach there and get into some insurance. The, the crux of the matter, there are diagnoses that insurance will not pay for. These tend to be very hard diagnoses or they tend to be the very light diagnoses that are in what we call the back of the DSM manual. Generally, clients don't really care that much about what they've been diagnosed with. They're there to get the problems resolved and they're thinking insurance is gonna pay for it. So some therapists may think they're doing you a favor I would never do this by pushing the diagnosis in a direction that insurance will pay for. That's probably unethical and it's not something I would personally do. So that's why it's important for you to be a part of that discussion and how uh, in this case paying cash can get you out of that dilemma. Uh, it does cost more money but it is now allows the therapist to have a much freer hand when it comes to a diagnosis. So discuss the diagnosis with your therapist, keep your AME involved. So everyone is comfortable in the direction that you're going. Uh, as far as the duty to warn, which is which is the idea, the statute that says they have to warn the FAA if you're a threat to yourself or others, that's a very high bar. I just want to make sure people understand that. That is a deliberate threat made that they think you are highly going to carry out. It's not something they can do on a whim because that's a break of confidentiality and you can actually sue the person. So uh, typically breaking confidentiality for duty to warn is in typical scenarios of suicide. You've made a suicide threat about yourself and you're going to carry it out tonight or tomorrow. Uh, that's something where a therapist would typically jump in to, to, uh, to stop. 
I would also like to mention and remind you of a resource, counselorscanhelp.com. That's my website that goes along with this show. In that website, you can get detailed information about where to find a therapist. Uh, specifically, also a nice thing about the website is we will have all the shows that I have recorded and are ready for production on the website so you can get ahead and there may be usually two or three that might be on the website that won't be on, say, iTunes or Spotify. So you can get the latest, greatest information there. Uh, any other information we want to pass, we'll certainly put it out on counselorscanhelp.com. Now we'd like to get back to the show and pick up the diagnosis discussion. Pilot is feeling well, just stress, or things aren't going well, or they've got things going on at home, or maybe they've a loss of a loved one or a family member. Some kind of catastrophic thing has happened, but it's not necessarily to them, but they're under some emotional strain, if you will. They may not have a diagnosis necessarily. They're just trying to work through a situation and and um, the, the help is there and it's certainly, uh, I guess, a quick way back or you wouldn't even bother reporting it if you don't even have a diagnosis at all. And that's, that's certainly a legitimate scenario uh, that I see at work. Yeah, with a just a simple you know, stress management and you're just developing some coping skills you know, for that. Uh, but, but you're right, you know, if... Uh, if the counseling you know, goes on for uh, you know, more than a much only a few sessions, you know the, the insurance plan will vary. But you know, often the insurance will require some kind of diagnosis, and I'll I'll usually you know, ask the pilot to talk with their you know, counselor and you know, you know, get some you know, possibilities that they would consider using for that, and so we can talk about it. Uh, there are yeah there are you definitely are some things that are easier than others. Uh, for example, you know, um, I heard uh, I've heard one psychiatrist describe uh, you know, adjustment disorder as you know like the common cold of psychiatry, <laughs> uh, and and it, it really is just having kind of your plate is is too full, and so you just need to take a deep breath and step back and kind of work through things and you get it back under control a little bit. Yeah. So, um, so that's you know that's one that can be very useful in in various situations. Yeah, an adjustment disorder, I guess, for as a as a diagnosis, it really is just saying something has happened in your life that has knocked you off your feet a bit, and it's just going to take a little bit of time to to adjust. I mean, thus, thus the name. Um, so yeah. th that's why it doesn't really imply anything bad on you necessarily. It's just saying this is this event has happened, and it could be any number of things that has left you stressed out or anxious or, or sad or whatever it is, but it's just a matter of working through that event, um, which is why I guess in, in the FAA's eyes that that's kind of a normal deal. We're all going to have something like that at some point in our life. So, absolutely. Yeah. So we all, uh, yeah, we all have kind of overwhelming circumstances at some point and, and your stages of life, you change as well. It could be that it's something you handle as a 25 year old when you're, you're single uh, is you know, going to be different you know, when you're 55 and you've got a family that you're you're caring for and you have to be thinking about as well. And so, uh, so well, I'll hear pilots say that it's like I you know, I thought I could handle this and uh, it's like I don't understand why I'm not dealing with it now and, and that's what I'll just say it's like oh, you're it just is where you are right now and uh, your, your circumstances you're, you're both physically and uh, you're socially kind of your family is is different than it may have been in the past. So we just need to figure out how to get you better and get you back into a better spot. I mean, that's ultimately the goal, but the, 
as as with any of these types of things, and you talk to pilots, they're they're having this stuff happen to them for the first time, so they're really not knowledgeable necessarily about how all this works. I mean, that's where you come in to to jump in and say, hey, this yeah. is what the process looks like. Um, I, I'm I'm here to help you. This is what I recommend you do, and so um, that's that's why I think pilots don't ever appreciate a person like you who does this routinely until they need you. And then they're like, oh man, that was, I am so glad this person was around to, to walk me through this because there were so many questions I had or was afraid of so many scenarios that turned out was not a big thing or they, you know, they walked me through it. And so it, that's a, it can turn out well many, many times, I guess. Absolutely. So, yep. And I'm always, always glad to hear that feedback and to hear, you know, that I've been able to, you know, help the person you kind of under, have that better understanding that it is something that we can deal with. Yeah. Um, is, I guess, is mental health seen really differently in the eyes of the FAA as any other medical things, uh, uh, some cancers or skin cancers or, you know, lots of other type of things that pop up? Is there, do they consider this a special category or is it, do they just look at it in the same way, that same three diagnosis treatment fit for duty? I mean, is it all just the same thing? Well, yes and no. Uh, that you know, it, it is looking at each of those you know factors, uh, but there can be a lot more, um, a lot more of a story uh, you know, to get to understand you know, what has happened you know, for that you know, that pilot's treatment, and and to really get a good understanding you know, of what they are. It's, uh, the the difference is is obviously that there aren't really good tests you know for you can't go do an MRI of somebody with depression, and it's not going to give you that diagnosis. And so, you know, with with cancer, you know, you know, the medical community, you know, you know in most cases, does have you know, very good tests that help to understand if it's in remission or kind of what the status of that cancer is. So, uh, you you lose a little bit of that objective uh, testing or assessment uh, for your mental health related conditions. So that's where the you know, the narrative, you know, the story, you know, from the either the um, the counselor or the psychiatrist or whoever the the pilot is working with is so important, you know, just to really give a good understanding of you know where they have been and and how they are you know, doing now, uh, just to to give the FAA that uh, understanding of of the status and just to help you know, reassure them that the pilot really is doing well and ready to go back to work. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's a kind of a belief or I don't know if you call it a stereotype or whatever, but there's a belief that if, if you have a mental health issue that you are in some way, for lack of a better word, broken and that you're that it's just not possible to recover from that. That's that's the belief, I guess. I think that that keeps a lot of these um, nightmare scenarios alive in pilots minds is that, oh, well, if I have something like that, obviously. I could never fix that or that can't be fixed or there's just kind of a belief that that can't be done or that it's almost impossible when really that's not the case at all. And, and from, uh, from my perspective as a pilot and a, and a therapist, that's many things can totally be addressed. And many times it's a simple thing. Um, and I guess from your perspective, the FAA, uh, would you say they see it that way as well? I mean, just tell the story, tell the Tell us what's going on, how you got through it, and if, if the story makes sense, your therapist agrees, you're you're good to go. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Most definitely. I, 
Yeah, I, I like to say just that we need to you know, reassure the FDA, you know, that you know the pilot is doing well. You know, that's that's really our our main goal. And you know, by no means are they going to look at it as you know the pilot being you know, broken. Uh, it's like it's it's a it's a medical condition. Okay, at some point you know they they had a medical condition, and if it's been appropriately treated and addressed, and you know, we can you know, document you know that you know, improvement. You know, then yeah, then it all works out, and, and it's something that we can manage. Yeah, it can turn out well, and and I guess, and I get it. There's a there's a disbelief that that's going to happen for them, or that that there's going to be some paperwork thing involved that is going to stop them or or mark them for life, kind of thing. And so, um, I don't know. There's just a hesitancy to go there. And, um, and, and I think the downside of that hesitancy is pilots carry around this stuff for years, or they certainly can, um, which just leads to a lot of problems. I think, I think people get into more problems by not getting stuff addressed because then things start happening at work. Uh, you name it, there's things that start happening, and I think that's way more of a career danger than just going to, to get therapy, I mean, honestly. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, and... It's a bit of a stereotype, but many many pilots are very good at you know, compartmentalizing and you're keeping their you know, non-work life away or separated you know, from their work life. And so when things start you know, leaking over from one to the other, then, uh, then that's where you know, we run into problems. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, we definitely want to, uh, again, we're, we've got a theme going. We definitely want to catch things early to where it's much easier to manage before you have uh, those more complicated you know, situations. Yeah, address it early. And, and the other, I guess, question that I had, who do you go to you know, when you start this process? And, and you've said that you've of, often answered phone calls or questions from pilots who are wanting to start the process. They're just not sure who to talk to about it. And that that's okay to bring this up to yourself or, like you said, a buddy or perhaps just go talk to the chief pilot and say, here's what I'm facing, um, you know, their comfort level, I guess, with that person. Um, but it sounds like you take a fair amount of these phone calls on the on the front end of this kind of stuff. Oh, I certainly do. Yeah, you really, you, you need to do probably just a little bit of research to understand you know, what, what resources are available and uh, that's obviously going to depend on the airline and the you know, um, you know, the union and you know, the different uh, um, you know, options that they have. You know. Uh, you know, so many you know, you know, many airlines or unions you know, have you know, people like me that are available to call and you know, ask these questions. Uh, if you, you know, have a really good relationship you know, with your AME, you know, then you could go in and you know, possibly talk with them. And, you know, an, an appointment you separate from the normal you know, AME exam. Uh, you want to make sure you have a discussion with them about you know, whether or not they feel an obligation you know, to report you know, to the FAA, uh, and then make sure that that's all you know, you know, out in the open. Uh, otherwise, you're talking with uh, you know, the unions. You know, many unions have developed uh, peer pilot you know, support groups of some kind. And so to find out if something like that is available, you know, because there are people there that have uh, have had some training and um, and some mental health you know, issues, and you know, they're pilots, and so we're able to you know, discuss that. Um, chief pilots as well. You know, chief pilots. You know, they want their pilots you know functioning safely and you know obviously working for them, but they want them to stay healthy and well and, and safe also. And so uh, you know. They, they they can also be a, a good resource, 
so it's going to be you really kind of have to look around and see you know who you know who is available you know, to you and um, you know, who might be you, know, you might you might be able to ask or talk with you know, some of these things about and, and obviously the questions and the types of discussion that you'll have will vary depending on who it is but you know, generally there's going to be somebody there that can certainly you know, help get you guide or get you going in in the right direction with you know, with whatever is needed. Uh, you you mentioned it a bit ago, where you know, for for the pilot, it may be their first time you know, dealing with something. But uh, there are plenty of other people that have either you know, worked through it, uh, you've been through it personally, or have helped others you know, go through it. And so it's not going to be the first time you know, for them. So you just have to you know, ask the question, and you kind of find you know, find somebody that has the information or has the, the knowledge and expertise you know, that you need. Uh, it's not something that you know, most people are very uh, open about you. Know, we don't, you know, we don't like to go out and you know, be talking with others, especially with people we don't know very well, about just struggles that we're having. So, um, so it does take uh, it does take a little bit of courage you know, to you can ask some of those questions. Uh, but of course, there are you know, there are you know, kind of broad ways that that can be done you know, too. But um, yeah, you know, it's a, it's common issues. You know, life life happens to all of us. And so it's just a matter of you know you're reaching out and you're finding the the proper help to to fit what you need at that time. Yeah, and I think generally the pilot or the person going through the process is glad they did it. You know, in oh, the yeah. end, in the end, they I think I think that's pretty universal that people will say, "Man, I wish I would have done this before," or "I'm so glad I just appreciate the process." Um, I guess that's the other thing this show, this podcast is about is to teach people about what therapy is. What does that look like? I think that's the other scary thing that they just don't know what they're getting into. Um, and so that's a lot of what this show is about is just talking through those scenarios of what that looks like in the room, because that's certainly a, like you said, this is not something people do. They're not used to it. They don't understand it. And so that adds its own bit of, of, of scare factor I guess, to the thing. And so that's what this show is about is to, to teach people about what, what all that looks like. So, uh, to remove the, the fear of, of going into that room. Um, anything else you would, you would mention or, or think is relevant? I mean, we've covered a fair amount of ground here, but, uh, what else would you add to this discussion? Really? I, I think we're covering the most important parts of it. You know, that, um, you know, there are, you know, the help is the help is out there. The help you know, help is available, and uh, just finding the resources that are there, and uh, that really it's it's something that uh, you know from the FA perspective that can be dealt with, and uh, so it doesn't uh, it doesn't need to be you know a permanently disqualifying you know, situation. That uh, we just you know, we want the we all want we all want a safe flying environment and. And so we want everybody you know, functioning well and you know, really feeling you know, feeling good about how they're doing. And so we just need to make sure we you know, you know, provide the, the support and you know, the help you know, that's appropriate to the, to the situation. Yeah. Well, and, that, and that's certainly where you come in. I mean, uh, like I said, the folks like yourself, helping people get through these times in their life is such a huge benefit because there are so many things that you don't consider, don't think about, don't realize as far as these, all these things that you deal with daily, uh, makes that process so much simpler and easier. And, and, um, I certainly appreciated what you did for me. That was massively helpful in my life. Um, and I think everybody who's gone through that kind of a thing would have the same 
same opinion. I'm I'm certain of it. Thank you. So, well, and and you're you're trying to provide your help to others as well. And so I I commend you and thank you for that also. Yeah. Well, um, I guess that's it. Um, to sum up here, there's it can get a little bit complicated, but there's in many ways there's ways that this doesn't have to be. Um, reaching out early. There's lots of resources available to help to get an opinion of you know, what does this look like or what should I do? There's lots of folks that will help. Uh, and ultimately there's experts like yourself that can walk the person through what they need because ultimately many times folks are carrying around burdens needlessly for a very long time um, that they just don't have to be doing. And um, that's unfortunate. And that's kind of what this show is about or the whole theme of this podcast is to, to get people to see that they don't, they don't have to do that. So um, hopefully the this kind of system stays in place where we have folks like you to help us out. And, and we certainly appreciate it. Um, I, and I, I guess appreciate you for doing this show. I mean, this, I don't know how many of these kinds of things you've, you've had to do or interviews, but um, it's definitely something I've been thinking about for a while. So I definitely appreciate you, uh, you coming on. Appreciate your request. And I'm just glad to, glad to be able to be a part of it. And so thank you for thinking of it. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, there's a, there you go. There's a, a, I guess a pilot version of how this looks and, and there's many variables like in anyone's life, but we've, we've covered some, some detail here. So looking forward to having you back on an, an another version of uh, counselors can help. Folks, entertainment is a major part of this show. With that in mind, we leave you with some outtakes that we hope you'll enjoy. I mean, you mean you talked like the, I guess, typical metal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Many. Um, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, yeah. And it, Our mission is to spread the word that counselors can help. We want to teach you how to get started and get the most out of therapy. We encourage you to reach out to a professional in your area to help yourself or a loved one. Thank you to Kelsey Fink, our production assistant and chief of technology and social media. Thanks to Aspire Counseling at AspireUT.com for their support. If you want to know more about how counselors can help, go to counselorscanhelp.com. We have lots of resources, information, and we update it all the time. Views expressed on the show are those of myself, my guests, for the benefit of mental health discussion and are not the views of any outside organization. We'll see you next time on Counselors Can Help, a production of Merge Publishing.